want to go camping. <laughs> no. Everybody, Everybody loves camping. camping. Even if you hate camping. Still got to go, go camping. camping. I... When you were like, oh, I got something to open up with. I was like, okay, this will be deep and meaningful. Yep. And then it's just a Rick and Morty reference. Which, you know what? Sometimes, guys, I need that. Yeah, I watched a lot of Rick and Morty before I came here Good for you. They have new episodes up on Hulu, so. Yes, they have the last, the latest season up. Yeah. Um, But I actually just watched them, like, the week. Or the month before on Adult Swim because they finally posted them on that as well. Oh, but I should yeah, go back and rewatch too. all of season four. I just watched it all from the beginning. That bring me joy because I'm gonna tell you, like <laughs> these past two weeks of research, I've learned a lot about myself. I feel like that happens sometimes, right? When we're researching a topic, and like I learned a lot about myself. You learn a lot about this musician, and in turn, you learn a lot about yourself. I did. Things that I'm uncomfortable with. There's just something Reasons about Nine Inch Nails that therapist. really makes you look internally and you're like, I understand why yeah, Trent this, is the way he is. This is why I'm seeing a therapist. Right. Wow. All right. Well, we figured that out. Yeah. Good for us. Good for me. I don't know. Yeah. Welcome to Rock Candy, your alternative therapy. Oh, Ooh, I like that. I came a little. Yay. Yay. We're your hosts. I'm Andy. (laughs) I'm Ashley. And we fucking did it. Yay. Yay. Guys, we were clear. We were concise. We got it all in. You know what? I think we're good. We never need to do the show again. So thank you for listening. Now you know what we can do. We can go camping. (laughs) No, I will not camp. I don't want to go. I don't want to go camping, period. I fucking hate camping. Yeah. Well, you still got to go camping. Uh, Even if you hate it, (laughs) you still got to go camping. That's my favorite line. Because how many people (laughs) actually hate camping and still get dragged to go camping? Not me. I refuse. I feel like Trent should do more camping. He might enjoy it. I bet you, you know, I bet you he does a lot. I don't know. He also strikes me as the type of guy, though, who wouldn't want to not have a bed. Maybe he glamps. Not that he's like some kind of pillow queen, but just like <laughs> that he pillow really <laughs> likes. He has so many throw pillows oh on his God. bed. You know, him and his wife have all the decorative pillows. They spend 20 solid minutes taking all those fucking <laughs> pillows off their bed Do you every know how expensive night. decorative pillows are? They are very expensive. Even bullshit cheap ones at home goods and are it's, like $20. And it's like impossible to get them all to match. Like even if you get like the really cool spooky Halloweeny ones from like Michaels when they always have a quote unquote sale, mm. even 40% off, them shits are like 25 bucks. It's a goddamn pillow. Come it's a goddamn on. pillow. But I'd like to think that Trent Reznor's bed is just covered in Michaels Halloween <laughs> pillows. God, I hope so. <laughs> and he's basically like I can't go camping unless I have at least 15 Michael's Halloween pillows in my tent. I can't go camping. I have to put all of these decorative pillows back on my bed. Next my maid to, has the weekend off. Next to my shell. Yes, next to my shell. It's his precious shell. God damn it. He's real golem about that shell, guys. He really is. I get it. I get it, though. You know what else I like to do when I go camping? Drink? Yeah, drink yeah. a lot. And I won't be bringing this with me, <laughs> but it's not terrible. <laughs> it's not a terrible lie. They did not lie. They told you exactly what was in it. 
It's an IPA. We knew what we were getting into. So this week, drinking Modest Booing Co. It's from (laughs) Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh. Double Ghost Vision, DDH Citra, and Strata Double IPA. I don't know what any of these words mean except for DJ Citra Dippa. It means they were jerking themselves off when they were making that beer. All right. I really need everybody to just touch themselves while I say this because we're going to know... If like, you're a bro or not, if yeah, you get like, hard if or this, wet when I say this. If this doesn't make you hard, then... Good for you. <laughs> good for you, or you need them little blue pills from the convenience store. Apparent, I, no, I don't I don't know. So, it is a double IPA brewed oh. with oats and wheat, oh. then massively dry hopped <gasps> with Citra and Strata. Oh. Then double dry hopped oh with God. citrus cryo, cryo, uh-huh. and strata. Uh-huh. Well, we all just came. Yeah, no, we didn't. This is bullshit. It's like it's the broiest broscription I have ever heard in my life. It is so <laughs> broscriptive. I can't. I should have been wearing my I hops IPA hat while <laughs> blood drinking blood type this. IPA. That's right, blood type IPA hat because that's how I feel drinking this after yeah. reading the description. <laughs> Guys, come your dicks. Yeah, like. You don't need to go that crazy. Let your balls drop a little. Yeah. And also for all of that ridiculous descriptive nonsense on mm-hmm. the side of that can, it tastes like a regular fucking IPA. It's fine. It's juicy. It's <laughs> hazy. It's got pine cone in it. Bro semen in it. I oh. don't know. But like, it's fine. I mean, I felt like I just went on, like, a really shitty cheap date and was too drunk to say, like, I'm better than this and then still slept with him and then had the walk (laughs) of shame going home after drinking it. And then, like, two days later, all of a sudden you're like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Because we all have to have those I am not telling any of my friends about this. Yeah. They're going to laugh, but not in a good way. It's fine. It's a nice... If you like IPAs, it's fine. The citrus saves it 100%. I feel like it's that way with most IPAs, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. An IPA that doesn't have citrus in it, I'm like, I'm sorry. So am I just licking a pine cone right now? (laughs) Just blended up some pine needles in a blender. Ugh. Yuck. That's, yeah. This is fine. It's, I'm drinking it. But also it's like eight point something and I didn't realize that. (laughs) So I'm a little like lit already. Yeah. So we're going to see how this goes. We're going to give the other two cans to Mikey. Mikey might, Mikey likes everything. Yeah. Give it to Mikey. He'll drink it. Yeah. Mikey likes everything. Exactly. Yeah. Your Mike is the uh, life, was it life, right? Yeah, I'm life cereal. The life cereal kid of our IPAs. Yeah. Give it to Mikey. He'll drink it. He'll drink any <laughs> He's IPA. The beer dumpster. <laughs> the brumster. <laughs> that sounds like some weird, like, Trump fan. I don't like oh, that. Oh, Trump, once again, ruining ruins everything. everything. <laughs> but All he's right. not going to ruin this story. He's not going to ruin the story. So let's hit us up with part two of Nine Inch Nails. So at this point in our story, it is the late 90s and Trent can no longer hold off on getting a new album out. Like he is kind of delayed at this point. Yeah. Still dealing with drugs and depression and anxiety. He got back in the studio to work on the follow-up to his masterpiece, The Downward Spiral. Because, mm-hmm. yo, that's some stress. <laughs> that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of stress. Like I mentioned in the last episode, Trent had been going through what some would refer to as 
some shit and when it was causing him some intense writer's block. That can happen. I believe some shit is the technical term. Some shit definitely blocks a lot of things. Yeah. So, yeah. 100. Because he was having so much trouble with lyrics, he relied much more heavily on composition and arrangements. Gone were the heavy, gritty, industrial sounds which Trent traded in for ambient soundscapes and electronic beats, and melody and harmony being used interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Another contributing factor to the change in sound can be attributed to a massive change in lineup and production. Trent ran into his New Orleans studio with producer Alan Moore, who's worked with Jesus and the Mary Chain, My Bloody Valentine, Depeche Mode. So this checks. There's there's a pattern here. Yeah, this, oh, I see. I'm connecting mm-hmm. these dots. Okay. <laughs> so he worked on the mixing. Longtime drummer Chris Vrenel had left because tensions grew heavy between him and Trent. Big surprise. So he replaced him with Bill Riflin. And then Jerome Dillon, who would become Nine Inch Nails' full-time drummer until 2005. I just want to call him Triflin' Riflin'. I don't know why. Yo, that Riflin' be Triflin', <laughs> no, am I right? If he's in everybody's business or, like, a gossip guy. <laughs> he's just a Triflin' asshole. Triflin' Riflin'. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Nope. <laughs> He's trifling rifling, even though he never comes back again. <laughs> okay. There you go, well, Bill. Well, there you go. You you got a nickname, and you only show up once, so Good for he you, hit Bill. it big. He, hit, he did hit it big at the Rock Candy <laughs> he <did>. stratosphere. <laughs> he did. They spent nearly two years working on this album, creating a lot of material, and experimenting with a sound that would mature Nine Inch Nails as a band. Yeah. In 98, during the MTV Music Video Awards, they played a 30-second trailer to promote the upcoming album. But fans still had to wait over a year for its release. Build up. They're so like, much suspense. So much suspense. Are y'all ready? Wait one more year. <laughs> Trent did warn the masses. He said many people may not like this album. He said it was not traditional Nine Inch Nails and it was more akin to a bunch of pop songs. Eh, for Nine Inch Nails, yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, it's possible he made it seem like a worst case scenario because... He knew he was going to get some criticism for the change in direction. Mm -hmm. So he wanted people to be prepared and probably overly prepared. Finally, on September 21st, 1999, Nine Inch Nails released their third studio LP, The Fragile, a daring double disc concept album. As the downward spiral was about a man falling into total destruction, The Fragile still dealt with the hopelessness and depression Except it was as it pertained to Trent's life. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot more personal. And it's so good. Now, here's the way I see it. It's obvious that Trent is a person who has and will continue to deal with chronic depression. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't just cure it. No. Like, game recognized game. I'm like, I see you. I know what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Feel it, baby. The downward spiral is a more formative way of dealing with it like when you're an adolescent who's just beginning to realize how lost you are but you've no idea how to deal with it except through like rage and destruction and and screaming and yelling and throwing things and saying look at me i don't know how to deal with these feelings yeah. the fragile takes what i consider a more seasoned look at depression slightly more mature i mean look. i really tried to not hard not to ageist this but it is kind of like a more juvenile the downward spiral is a bit more of a juvenile experience with depression, whereas 
yes, the fragile is a bit more mature mm-hmm. kind of experience with depression. When you're older, you don't have the energy to fight as hard. You try and... <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> just did. You try and work towards getting better, but you still find yourself at the end of it all with no answers and still feeling an endless sense of despair. Yeah, this is pretty much... So, yeah, if the downward spiral is like yelling and screaming about how depressed you are, the fragile is more like throwing up your hands and being like, well, this is how it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not, I guess maybe it's not so much mature as it is seasoned. Right, like it's, you've just, you've been through the ringer so many times. Right, and you just kind of are fucking giving up. Right, I feel or like. Or at least, you're not necessarily giving up, mm. you're just like, this is how it is, you're accepting it. Yeah, because when you're younger, and this is 100% speaking from experience, when I was younger, the downward spiral spoke to me a lot because I was an adolescent with chronic depression. I didn't know how to deal with it except with like rage and sadness, like extreme sadness. Mm-hmm. It's not the same kind of melancholy that's on the fragile. And even when the fragile came out, I was still only about 15. So I wasn't necessarily understanding it. And then I got older. I was like in my 20s and early 30s. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. Oh, God, I get this. Yeah, maybe this is the medicated version of depression. Yeah, this is when... So, like, when it's like the untreated... Downward spiral is the untreated adolescent. This is when you finally are like, okay, fine, this is how it is. I guess I should see somebody. And they're throwing, like, medication after medication at you that just kind of mellows you out and still makes you feel like shit. And also, like, you have no feelings (laughs) at all, period. And then now eventually, probably down the road, he's going to be like, oh, maybe I can manage this with less medication (laughs) and maybe I can weed him out and find the right one. Yeah, that'll probably come in later albums. But this one is definitely, (laughs) it speaks to that side of your depression that says, this is how it's going to be forever. And I can't change it. It's kind of a new level of depression. Like you can change yourself. Congratulations. Right? You've You've leveled up. You've leveled up to adult depression. (laughs) But also that is an odd congratulations too. Yeah. I mean, because I think half the thing is too with the downward spiral is I think it speaks to that depression you feel younger where you do dramatic and dumb. I don't want to say dumb, just... Maybe things that you didn't think out quite clearly. Impulsive. Impulsive. A- attention that's the grabs. Word. Now, I don't even want to say attention grabs. Just impulsive and dramatic. And sometimes the repercussions to those things are permanent. Yeah. Just like impulsive things to be like, hey, hey, I'm not well here. Yeah. And then you finally, your parents finally see that there's something wrong and you get sent to a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yay. <laughs> Trent said of the fragile, he wanted it to sound inherently flawed, like he was still trying to put the pieces together. Quote, the downward spiral was about peeling off layers and arriving at a naked, ugly end. This album starts at the end and then attempts to create order from chaos, but it never reaches the goal. It's probably a bleaker album because it arrives back where it starts, with the same emotion. The album begins with somewhat damage and ends it's ripe with decay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I feel like that's exactly what Trent is saying. Like, now nah, I'm still real fucking depressed, guys. <laughs> Turns out. Yeah. There are a lot of obvious influences on this album. 
from classical with the nod to Debussy in La Mer to electronica to progressive rock, critics noticed elements of King Crimson hmm. and especially art rock. I mean, dude just spent a bunch of time with Bowie, so duh. Yeah. The album art has an interesting story as well. Hmm. Trent brought in David Carson to help design it. He was going to bring to the table a series of nature photos he had taken, but the one-hour photo place he brought them to <laughs> called and said they messed up the chemicals and uh, the pictures were oh ruined. No. CVS, what are you doing? God damn it. One-hour photo, my balls. <laughs> this is why you don't have fucking 15-year-olds manning the one-hour photo booth, CVS. <laughs> but you know what? He wanted to see them anyways, and both he and Trent Ended up loving the result. Well, congratulations, 15-year-old fuck-up from CBS. <laughs> you made a beautiful album cover, apparently. They love- That's your claim to fame. Nobody's going to believe you. No one's ever going to believe you. I um, I <laughs> fucked up the, uh, the film for what became the fragile cover. No, you didn't, <laughs> Jeffrey you're 40, Thunderbird. You're 45. Stop talking like that. <laughs> I have something wrong with my vocal cords. I'm sorry. Trent punched me in the throat when he saw that I fucked it up. But then he shook my hand. (laughs) Okay. And so when you look at the cover of the fragile, you're like, what the fuck is this? Uh Well, they're fucked up photos that got mixed together. So it's supposed to be on like that little, not even three or not even a quarter of the top. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a picture of a waterfall. Okay. And it got all jacked up. And below it, taking uh-huh. up majority of it, is the inside of a seashell. Because <laughs> <laughs> Trent loves his seashell. He loves that seashell. He God. fucking loves his, the, the seashell <laughs> came back. Yeah. It's Aww. back to stay, guys. He really lo- He's trying to make a connection between the albums, I guess. Yeah, he's like, guys... But the seashell. But what about this seashell? It's really deep, right? Does it speak to you like it speaks to me? I put it to my ear. I hear the ocean. And all I hear is, my precious. I put it to my ear. I just hear that song, La Mer, that I wrote. (laughs) Just one note. There have been many times in artists' careers where putting out a double album has hurt them. (laughs) Even Mac. But this wasn't the case. The musical themes and motifs run seamlessly throughout the work, and the length did not hurt its critical reception. Yeah. I mean, entirely. Take- not the critical impression reception, anyway. Take that, Tusk. Oof. Well, not completely, anyway. Publications like Rolling Stone, Mojo, and Spin praised the fragile for its multi-textured sound and the amount of action there was from start to finish. They mm-hmm. were like, nah, you can listen to every track, it's great. But not everyone was a fan, though. Pitchfork called it overly dramatic, and NME said it was background music. Yeah, I think they were mixing that up with Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Right? Like, I I listened to Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Could have been one album. Easily. Did not need to be two. Why was it so fucking long? Because Billy Corgan just jerked himself off through the whole thing. You know, we will have to cover Smashing Pumpkins one day. We will. It'll be. I would love to do that. Oh, God. It's just going to be a tear fest. <laughs> yeah. As far as commercially, well, that was interesting. It debuted at number one. 
But by the next week, it dropped to 16. Oh. Yeah. There have been a few potential reasons cited for why this happened. Some said that it was the label failing to promote it properly, while others claimed the two-disc release was intimidating. Intimidating how? I don't want to listen to two CDs. I don't know if I can do that. So much time devoted. Oh my God. We didn't have like the goldfish attention spans that we have now back then. So, we like, really didn't. We could sit through an entire double album. Oh, my ass sat through that entire double album many times. Yeah. Still does. Yeah. It's fine. Mm. I don't, I think that's a terrible excuse. Terrible excuse. <laughs> do, 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 do. Years later, Trent would say that he realized he probably should have done just two separate releases. But what's done is done, and at this point, many have said that this is their favorite Nin release. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, it became double platinum in 2000, so it, it did perfectly fine. Like, mm-hmm. it did great. Um, And it is cited. I still think it's a very underrated Nine Inch Nails album. Mm-hmm. But overall, yeah, it, I think a lot of people at this point are like, oh, no, The Fragile was really good. And you're like, no shit, asshole. I think I didn't realize until much later, like 10 years after it came out, that people actually, like a lot of people actually didn't like it. Because mm. when it came out, I remember listening to it and being like, this is a fucking awesome album. Right. This, all of this is great. But actually, no, it wasn't when it came out. It was several years after it came out that I actually like sat down and listened to it because mm-hmm. I was definitely in college. Um but I remember listening to it and being like, this fucking album slaps. And <laughs> I'm sure that's the phrase Trent was yeah, looking yeah. for. <laughs> I just really want to release an album where some dipshit at SUNY New Paltz <laughs> is listening to it six years from now and says, this album fucking slaps. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what, Trent? You Mission did it. accomplished. <laughs> Congratulations. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, like, it did not occur to me until well after that that people actually didn't particularly like it. I knew a lot of people didn't like it. And I'm going to say, like, I didn't like it as much as I do now. I had a handful, maybe two handfuls. I could say, you could say two handfuls on a double disc release of (laughs) songs that I really liked. But Uh I I couldn't get into the whole thing and I didn't understand the entire concept. Because, again, I was like 15, 16. I'm dumb. You were still in downward spiral, immature depression. Oh, my God. (laughs) You hadn't graduated to elevated depression I just started my Zoloft. So, like, I wasn't in that full, like, numbness yet. Yeah, you weren't in the... Zoloft and Cymbalta combo (laughs) era yet. Not yet. I was getting there. So, but I remember being like, guys, Nine Inch Nails is back. And everyone's like, meh. And I'm like, what do you mean, meh? It's Nine Inch (laughs) fucking Nails. It's fucking amazing. Because the songs that I did like, I fucking loved. Yeah. I loved The Fragile. The Wretched. The Day the World Went Away. I loved Wearing This Together. Yes. I actually loved... Bizarrely enough, I never thought I liked Nine Inch Nails instrumentals. And then after like doing the research and listening through the discography again, I'm like, oh, no, wait. I love Nine Inch Nails instrumentals. Because they make instrumentals interesting. They do. Which is difficult. Like, La Mer and Just Like You Imagined, they're great tracks. They're mm-hmm. amazing. They're dynamic. Yeah. I was really... What I liked, I really liked. And what I didn't like, I didn't like. Yeah. But either way, I was still like... Just, is nobody else into this? Which is interestingly foreshadowing of 
his later projects. Oh. oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So once the initial release proved so successful, everybody was pretty psyched to see that all the hard work paid off, especially Trent, who had so much pressure on him to follow up the downward spiral. Mm-hmm. He was in the mood to celebrate, and he did so with a drink. And then another, oh, no. and then some Trent. more, then a little no. drugs, then he relapsed. God damn it. Relapsed. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Y'all not- ready for this? No. no. Nope. <laughs> oh. It's that part of the show where, like, everybody's like, oh. <laughs> the live crowd. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> but... Lalakin sales got Interscope pretty Shania Twain about this record and refused to fund a tour. Cool. They were not impressed. Awesome. About the whole thing. That's so, balls. Therefore, Trent decided to pay for it out of his own pocket. Oh. And as we know, Trent is an innovative tech geek, so he had some pretty ambitious visuals to put out for this tour. And by the end, he was virtually broke. But at least the tour sold out, so I think he made a good chunk of that back, too. That's good. Yeah. Hopefully the merch table was really helpful with that. Yo, this is when merch was starting to be king. Yeah. The early, the, the aughts. Once when you the aughts started, hit, you're like. When you started making all of your money on the merch table. Who wants to buy this $30 t-shirt that has, like, the name <laughs> of your city on it? Oh, God. <laughs> I remember the first concert I ever went to was Bush. In mm-hmm. 1997, and I bought a shirt for 45 fucking dollars. <laughs> Bet your ass I wore the shit out of that shirt. And you I gotta. had it for like 10 years. You so. gotta. That better be a good fucking shirt. That shirt like, better last I actually years. really wish that I still had it because it was a pretty awesome shirt. It was like, it was supposed to be almost like a button down coat kind oh. of. And it said Bush Army on it. It was Army Green. It was really nice. That's actually sounds very nice i'm i don't know why i got rid of it i I rescind my vomit that's actually a good deal like 45 dollars is a bit expensive for for a high school kid yeah yeah so i get it gotta gotta save our money use it carefully i hope gavin rosdale did great things for his nanny with it there's there it is the vomit came back (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, so around this time, a lot of controversy was hitting Nine Inch Nails at once. In 1999, Nine Inch Nails received a hefty amount of criticism from the United States Senate. Oh? After it was discovered that Dylan Klebold, one of the Columbine shooters, was a big Nine Inch Nails fan. Dylan fucking Klebold. He had written in his journal um, a lot of content related around the downward spiral. Apparently, many interpreted it as him identifying a lot with the protagonist. He made references to what they called was, quote, the downward spiral. But it also could have just been like, I'm in a downward spiral. It's also a phrase, people. Yeah. And even if he was listening to a lot of Nine Inch Nails, he was listening to the downward spiral. He probably just took that as what it was usually known for you know who wrote a bunch of downward spiral lyrics on their notebooks at school oh it was me you know who never even attempted to shoot up her school it was me right Mm. maybe maybe we should stop blaming media and other things and start blaming the human beings who fucking did it i literally have tool lyrics written on my yearbook my high my senior yearbook page in high school you know who never 
even knew what anal fisting was, <laughs> this lady. You still, still don't know what anal fisting is. Still don't is. know what it is. But you know what? I have lyrics on my fucking senior <laughs> page. Like, just because you write, you like copy down the fucking lyrics to a song because we Doesn't didn't really shit. have the internet back then and we had to just listen to it and write it down doesn't mean we're taking it word for word yeah and we're going out and doing whatever they're saying to do in the song yeah we're not doing it god we wrote so many like sad depressing lyrics because we were sad and depressed right yeah i wasn't gonna shoot anyone when i was like 13 or 14 i started quote unquote writing lyrics and i just wrote what i thought that like my favorite bands wrote oh and it was depressing shit because I didn't know any better. I wasn't depressed when I was 13. I just listened to a lot of Bush and Silverchair and Nirvana. Now I kind of want to read your like lyrics from when you were 13. They're so bad. Oh my God. So bad. I swear to God, if you find it, we're going to write oh, music too. Oh, and we're I gonna throw it out. It. No. They have been long thrown out. Because no. when I was like 14, I was like, what is wrong with me? And just <laughs> tossed it out. Oh, at least you could write lyrics. I couldn't do that shit. I did not say they were good. I did not say that I cared. <laughs> I still couldn't even write bad lyrics. Uh, so, yeah. Trent showed he was more than willing to attack pi- pop icons and the concept of fame in his music video for Starfuckers, Inc., which they called Star Suckers because they had fuck and they needed to change it. In the music video... You see him throwing baseballs at cutouts of other musicians, like the aforementioned Billy Corgan. (laughs) Oh, they're not friends? No. Well, David Lee Roth, Marilyn Manson, Courtney Love, among others, he actually did say, like, Billy Corgan was there because he's like, he basically said he was throwing these baseballs at artists that he knew he was never going to be like. Like, he's never going to write a bajillion songs like Billy Corgan. Mm -hmm. He's, but but you also have, so hold up. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the fragile, so he was in a different state. Mm-hmm. David Lee Roth, he said, I'm never going to whip my dick, sing about my dick all the time. <laughs> you mean he's not just a gigolo? He's, Jared Nesner is not even a gigolo, I would say. Oh, but he's got the charisma. I know. And, you know, he kind of shot, he fired shots at Marilyn Manson for Cor- and Courtney Love for kind of being what he viewed as like, you know, media whores and like would do anything for yep. attention. Yeah. Because He's of, not wrong here. Right. I mean, at this point, when he wrote the song, he and Marilyn Manson were not getting along, apparently. Marilyn Manson not getting along with I know. Somebody? Well, because it was thought that the song was about the latter two, and it's probably true for at least Manson, because he believes that it is anyway. Mm-hmm. He told Howard Stern that Trent had wrote about him after they got into a fight. Um, Marilyn Manson just really wants a song to be about him. I mean, you're so vain. Yeah. You probably think yeah. this song is about you. Yeah. So maybe it isn't even about him. Maybe Trent wrote it, wrote it in an attempt to make it think it was about Trent or Marilyn Manson. Just so he can be like, it's not fucking about you, asshole. It's not. God. But I wanted you to think it was because I fucking Because you're that you. fucking vain. Right. I really hope Trent really did that switcheroo. It just reminds me of Mean Girls. Like... You're not fat because I hate you. I hate, I hate you because you you're fat. fat. <laughs> that's that's no, I think it was switched oh, around. Oh, I don't hate you because you're, you're fat. You're fat because I, you. I hate you. I feel like that's Trent Reznor and Marilyn Manson's yeah. uh, relationship. Because, like, 
they would constantly like we're friends fuck you we're friends fuck you i don't think they're friends anymore god i I hope not please don't be friends with that ass hat i feel like trent is in like a much better place than marilyn manson is and i'm like Uh, i feel like he would look at manson like i cannot have that dead weight bringing me down trent reznor won a fucking oscar Mm -hmm. marilyn manson has absence But does he? Yep. Uh, also kind of abusive, but like, you know. Quite abusive. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. The amount of stress that was piling in Trent's alcohol and drug addiction was again out of control. The tour continued on, and one night they were in London. A near fatal mistake was made when Trent helped himself to a serving of what he believed was cocaine. Oh, no. But was actually white China heroin. This is like such a ridiculous story that happens to everyone. Yeah. Pretty sure it happened to Dave Mustaine. Yeah. Happened to uh, Vince Neal. Yeah. God, it happens to everybody. Everybody. Because white China heroin looks just like cocaine. I wouldn't be able to tell the two apart either. But then again, I don't shove stuff up my nose. No, I have a big strict like, but I don't want to put that in my nose. Like, all right, I'll rub it on my gums a little bit. But I'm not putting it in my nose. The Stevie Nicks story scared me straight, even though I was (laughs) never crooked in the first place. (laughs) Stevie Nicks scared us so straight. Better than any D.A.R.E. program ever could. Seriously, just show kids the Fleetwood Mac behind the music. You don't even need the D.A.R.E. program. Right. They're going to be like, wait, my nose can cave in? Fuck fuck cocaine. My brain can cave in through my nose because of a hole that I put there because of coke? All right. We're good. All right. I don't need to put that in my body. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Well, needless to say, he overdosed on that shit real quick. Mm. Yeah. Because he thought it was cocaine. He took way more than you should ever and fucking shot do. it up his nose? Shot it right up his nose. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was ho- immediately hospitalized, and they canceled the show for that night. Trent's addictions were just unignorable at this point, but he needed to finish the tour. However, he after that, he suffered another loss when a sound engineer he became good friends with died in gang-related activity. Gang-related activity. Yeah, I don't know the details on it. There's a lot of questions I have about these dealings that are going on right now. Like, who had the white China heroin or whatever the fuck? Like, why was it just laying around? What are these gang-related activities? What is going on? Who is he associating with? I don't think he knew at the time because he was high as fuck. Trent. I know. I have questions. But this was the final push to get him to get sober. He thought about how his self-destructive addiction led to the deaths of others, and he finally got himself in a solid rehab program in June 2001. Well, that's good. They made him quit cold-ass turkey, and this experience was so unforgettably painful that it motivated Trent to never want to fall off the wagon again. I mean, yeah, that shit's no joke. Right. Thus far, he has been clean since. Good. There ha- I'm, you know what I'll say right now? No spoil- spoiler alert. He doesn't fall. At this point in his story, in his life, he's in his 50s. He has not fallen back. That's nearly 20 years. Of- I mean, he does sometimes say like he fears that it could happen because it's already happened. I think that's just something like a former addict will always feel is like, I had that life. What if it happens again? Yeah. I just hope he's not one of those people that every day he posts online. 576 days sober, guys. Celebrate me. No, he talks about his sobriety when he's asked about it, but he's, or like if it pertains to a subject, but yeah, 
he's not like he's way more focused on his music than anything else to get him to talk about something that isn't his music is like oh (laughs) or his dogs like his dogs just don't be don't be that guy he's not he doesn't strike me as that guy good so he got back into collaborating with other artists he started a project called Tapeworm with James Kegel's Mayonnaise, where despite working on it for 10 years, the group just decided they hated it and nothing was ever released and they abandoned the project. This 100% sounds like every Tool album that has ever been made. Apparently, and I forgot to write down which ones, but a couple of the songs, like one did make it to a Tool album, album and one did make it to a Perfect Circle album. Oh, so James Kegel's Mayonnaise did I would take like some to, of the stuff. I would like to know what those songs or was are. It Poos- oh, maybe it was maybe it was a perfect circle in Pusifer, actually. I don't think it was Tool. That makes a little more sense. I'll go I'll go back to my um I still have like all my interview tabs uh-huh. and everything open. I can go look those up later. Word. And then Johnny Cash covered Hurt. Mm. Anyways, moving on. Now, clear-headed and feeling like a new person. I'm not going to talk about it. We mentioned it. We're done. I'm done. I'm over it. Like, you all know about it. I don't care. Trent was taking control of his life. That didn't just mean jumping back into the studio, but better understanding his finances and assets. He's an adult. God. Did he he get himself a mortgage, too? (laughs) I'm not in my business coat. I cannot offer anyone mortgages right now when you know that. Yeah, you're not wearing your blazer. Right. When he asked his manager, John Malm, about his financials, he was told his net worth was only around 400000 That is bullshit. That ain't right. On top of that, John then sued Trent for $3 million he believed what? he was owed. What? What? I would like Some you to sit fishy. here. I'd like you to sit here to continue to like mull this all over. Be like, why doesn't any of this make sense? Oh, that's because it don't. Um. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, managers, man. Uh, welcome to the world of managers. This led Trent to look through all of his contractual paperwork with John's management company, J Artist Management. More like con artist management. Ah, I see what you did there. In his searching, he found criminally egregious sections of the earliest version of his contract. For ejemplo, John was allotted 20% of Trent's gross earnings. Excuse Not his me? net, his gross. On top of that, John was guaranteed this even if he was no longer managing Trent. Wait. Did anyone read this fucking contract? I've got I've got my thoughts on this. Well, let me just leave. Okay, keep going through this. So a countersuit was filed against John for fraud, breach Uh of contract, breach of financial duties, and several other grievances. And being a fucking dick. (laughs) Also, I'm gonna sue you for being a dick, (laughs) straight up. Their suits were combined into one case. And they were in a legal battle for around three weeks in 2005. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the jury sided with Trent and Good. he was awarded $2.95 million that he was owed in what John conned him out of. Isn't that hilarious? Right? Because he's like, nah, give me $3 million you owe me. And then the jury is like, nah, you give him $3 million. And then also to count for like the inflation because it was like 20 years, it ended up being $5 million. Fucker. <laughs> Suck on my dick. So Trent got a new manager, Jim Gearnot, 
And he dissolved nothing records to the parent company Interscope. Mm -hmm. So what I was reading in my um, research is the judge did say that he actually did side with John as far as the contract signing goes. So like he did sign the contract. Right. Reader's Digest version. When they had done this contract in the late 80s, Trent had, um, excuse me. John had asked um, a friend who was an attorney to kind of act for the both of them as like a third party. So there was no breach of anything. Mm -hmm. And basically what happened is this guy, this third party, wrote out a contract and was like, okay, like this is just a basic bitch version of what you guys should do. You need to look into it and kind of like alternate some parts. They never did. Oh. So then Trent ends up signing it. But also remind remind you, like Trent's 20-something He's just trying to get into the biz. Right. He might have started drinking at this point. Maybe not too heavily, but like he's just a like John did, I feel, take advantage of a dumb kid. Yeah. Cause like a dumb it's the tale drunk as old, kid. It's the tale as old as time with every fucking contract. Yeah. It's like you're a dumb kid who just wants to make it and you're probably drinking more than you should, or whatever. Even if you're not, you're young and just trying to get your fucking music out there he's just young dumb and full of cum and trying to get all that music just out there young dumb and full of notes music notes musical cum musical cum (laughs) (laughs) so gross if that wasn't the grossest thing ever i'd call the episode that (laughs) (laughs) anyway so but the judge did side because he's like you could have read through it and he could have but he's also 20-something. And, and he like, also had somebody else there who was like, this is just a preliminary thing, and you guys need to go and fix stuff and yeah. redo it. Yeah, yeah. So it is complicated. But at the end of the day, you know, they did... That contract was only supposed to last, like, I think the first five years of the um, relationship. Uh-huh. And, like, it probably should have been changed. So, But at the end of the day, like... No normal human being is going to look at this contract and think it makes sense. Yeah, because that's a total ripoff. It is. Like, you're 20% of gross? That's insane. Trent's fucking broke. And right. you're, like, riding high? Like, go fuck yourself, dude. Why do why do so many fucking managers do this? Because they're assholes. And, like, you have to have a certain... It's a sociopathic personality type in order to do stuff like that. Yeah, like... I don't understand why we still have jokes about sleazy car salesmen. We need to have jokes about sleazy music record management. Manage- record managers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 100. They're the I worst. Totally They're the fuck. actual worst. They're not trying to hawk 1989 Cadillacs. They're at least trying to hawk like millions of dollars and out try of to your wallet. out of your wallet, like straight out of your wallet in front yeah. of your face and be like, you sign a contract, bitch, I can do this. Sorry, motherfucker. And you're like, because like not only are they sleazy they got balls like (laughs) they got sleazy balls they got sleazy hefty balls (laughs) hefty 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 (laughs) balls and their artists are just wimpy wimpy (laughs) wimpy i had to do it called me out i had to do it not all of you are gonna get that i feel like most people they brought it back they brought it back Hefty brought it back. Bringing it back. (laughs) Well, despite this setback, music writing could continue as usual, except Trent was experimenting with new ways to write now that he was sober. He set a goal to have two songs written and demoed every 10 days. 
He kept the process pretty stripped down using just a drum machine, keyboard, computer, and microphone. Kind of going back to the old ways. Mm -hmm. Once he was back in the studio, he went in with a strong team that would become trusted people in Trent's creative circle. Of course, he brought back Alan Mulder to produce, and Jerome Dillon helped with a few tracks until he ultimately departed to work on his own projects. Mm -hmm. New on the scene was Trent's casual acquaintance. Oh, no. Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. Oh, yay. Yay. I thought you were going to say somebody else. I'm like, oh, no. It was Lars Ulrich. Uh, it wasn't. He came on to play drums. Terrible lie. That's a terrible lie. That is a terrible lie. He came on to play drums and percussion on seven of the tracks. And here I will note, they go on to collaborate on many projects and assist in each other's bands a lot through the years. I am shipping this bromance. Oh, it's real. I love it. It's real. And Dave is so much taller than Trent. And it's adorable. Skipping through fields of flowers. Oh, Oh, it'll get better, baby. Just you sit and wait. Oh, I can't wait. Most notably, here's where Trent brings in Atticus Ross. Initially, he comes on to help engineer and offer up some music support. But as years have come and gone. Oh, that's cute. At first, yeah, he's just like, oh, I'm here. I'm a British engineer. You can do it. I'm going to be here and help you. Boy, Trent, you can do it. And Trent's like, yeah, okay, I guess I can probably do this. Thanks, Atticus. Thanks, Atticus. (laughs) But as the years have come and gone, it's rare to see Trent's name and not see Atticus's right next to it. Yeah. He will become an essential member of NIN. And in 2016, he becomes an official, the second official member of NIN. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Mm-hmm. Wow. All of the hard work brought us Nine Inch Nails' next album, With Teeth, a slight departure from what we saw with The Fragile. This album is more lyrically oriented, less instrumentals, and a little bite came back as well. It's a little feisty on little this feisty. one. It was a little feisty. It's a good, I, I love With Teeth. I think mm-hmm. that's a great album. It felt like a logical result from the early days filtered through a fragile lens. Yes. And it slaps. This is putting two and two together to become ultimate maturity. To become one. He was real Spice Girls with this one. It really was. (laughs) Initially, Trent wanted to make a concept album about his recovery to sobriety, but was a little concerned that what he was creating had a bit of a pretentious lean to it. I was going to say, don't be that guy. He wasn't that guy. He's like, nah, this this is pretentious. So instead, he wrote songs that can stand on their own without having to listen to the whole thing to get it, but they were still kind of related in some way. I read somewhere that he basically said they could be friends with each other. There's songs (laughs) that could be friends with each other. And I was like, that's nice. fucking adorable Trent Reznor. I'm coming back on Daddy Reznor, by the way. Oh, that... No, what was my theory about the daddy thing? So, I would not call him daddy, but he, he would be, is it's daddy. A daddy. He's he a is, daddy, yeah. but he, he is not daddy. Right. Yes. But he, like, quarantine Reznor? I'm about this quarantine Reznor. He's letting all the hair grow out again, and I'm really? like, Really? That's what it is. I need all the hair. How do you know? Because I watched his acceptance speech for the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh. Spoilers. I'll get there. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. We'll have to We'll have to we'll get, we'll that get up. There. We'll get after. there. There is a lot of dealing with his alcoholism on this album and some rage as well, but here is where Trent's anger is no longer pointed inward as much. But- at the world around him, 
now boys getting a little political. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Wait. Maybe I'm stealing your thunder on this again. I'm not sure. Is there a song about Courtney Love on this album? I don't think so. I didn't dig too deep. Okay. Because I, I heard a little rumor that there was a song about Courtney Love on this album. Oh, there might be. Like I said, I didn't, like I told you earlier off mic, yeah. um, I didn't would, go too deep into each album, but we can always do a deeper album yeah. dig. Which would make sense if he was collaborating with Dave Grohl. <laughs> Around this time. Mm, true. Because I believe Dave was having some issues with lady friend over here. <laughs> lady quote unquote friend. <laughs> the biggest single off the album, The Hand That Feeds, is a call out to President Bush oh. and the other politicians who were in favor of the Iraq war. In fact, when they wanted to perform it for the MTV Movie Awards, Nine Inch Nails intended to perform with a simple image of George W. Bush behind them. Remember back in the day when George Bush was our worst enemy? Oh, my God. I mean, like, still, he's a war criminal, but... Yeah, he's not a cute grandpa that paints in his garage, guys. But also, like, he's not a motherfucking orange monster that tweets constantly. At least he got something done. It was bad, but he did something. at least he still recognized the rules and traditions of democracy. Yep. Um, yeah, he didn't, you know, you know he laws didn't that are democracy. in place. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, so they wanted to perform with that image behind them. But MTV said they were uncomfortable with partisan political issues as part of a performance. Well, shove it up your ass, MTV. Yeah, because now they're all like, mm, Trump's bad. And I'm like, oh, now you care. Cool. Just like everybody else. Nobody gave a shit before, but now we care. Cool. I, I, I was going to make a joke about MTV and be like, oh, you want another season a teen wolf but then i'm like that's like 15 years too late that i don't <laughs> i don't oh know God, that is the, i don't know what mtv does anymore i legit used to watch teen wolf like six years <laughs> ago i don't know what mtv airs anymore oh my god beautiful <laughs> fucking beautiful anyway nine inch nails dropped out And Trent put out a statement saying MTV was more uncomfortable with the image of our president than he was. Oh. Boom. You're going to need some self for that bad motherfucker. (laughs) With Teeth received generally positive reviews, many praising it as a triumphant return of vintage Nine Inch Nails. Mm. This album also debuted at number one on the charts its first week and had been certified a gold. Also, it blows my mind that there were only three albums between downward spiral and with teeth there's like uh, so one. much well there's downward spiral well, i mean fragile, it's and yeah with, oh it's you just mean there those only three. three albums yeah in that amount of time like i just yeah in about 10 years for some reason 11. i just expect so many more nine inch nails releases in I mean, that time he did do work with uh, like side projects with soundtracks kind of but yeah. like i i just feel like there should have been more at least, like, two more albums in between all of those. Well, you know what they say. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Sure is. <laughs> so this is when digital music is really picking up. P2P file sharing, internet radio. These were changing the way music was being consumed. And unlike some musicians, Trent embraced it and even went a step farther than just releasing music to hear for free. Nine Inch Nails released the source files for all of With Teeth in the garage band format. Trent told everyone to take the songs and do what you will. He encouraged remixing and enjoyed hearing what other people would come up with. That's fun. Right? 
This is what we should all be doing. He is very much even still someone who's like, I don't like that record companies think that they need to charge so much, think that people can't sample music. That's fucking stupid. If you want to do something cool and new and creative with my songs, please fucking do. Down with record companies. Damn the man. Save the empire. (laughs) Is that from Empire Records? Yes, it is. Okay. (laughs) What, What was the guy? Who? What's his day? He has a Rex day? Manning. Rex Manning. I was like, it's not Guy Fox. Say no more. Oh, no. Mona more. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they toured the album in 2005 and 2006 and called it Live with Teeth and performed with other awesome bands like Queens of the Stone Age, TV on the Radio, Bauhaus, Peaches, and others. And I caught them on this tour. Oh. And I... Was like, I don't fucking remember who opened for Nine Inch Nails because I don't think I gave a shit because I was like 22 and didn't yeah. care. And, and then, then looking back on those shows, you're like, why didn't I care? Oh, and then I made the mistake of looking up who opened for him that oh, night. No. Who was it? Back. It was Bauhaus and Peaches. Oh. And I like have no recollection of that. Oh. I have a vague recollection of seeing a chick on a piano be like, that's kind of cool. You were it. too busy standing in line waiting for $20 Bud Light Tall Boys. I don't even think I was drinking at that concert. No. Because it was me and my underage friends, so like we were just hanging out. I had a lot of friends who were like two or three years younger than me, so it was like always really weird because like I'd be 22 and they'd be like 19, 20, and it's like, well, I probably shouldn't drink. And I was while you're double fisting Bud Lights, (laughs) and they're like, and you're like, you're gonna want something. You don't have a driver's license, but yeah, I'm going to teach you how to drive stick shift on our way home. It's fine. You do the pedals, I'll do the stick. <laughs> I'm just going to scream, clutch! <laughs> It'll be fine. It's brilliant idea. For 45 minutes. Brilliant. Nailed Great. it. Nailed it. This was Trent's first tour since getting sober, so he found new ways to fill his downtime mainly writing more music. He played with noises on his computer and it led him to having a daydream about what might happen if America were to keep heading down the path it was heading. Mm. I suppose sobriety leads you to noticing how terrible the U.S. government really is. Mm. And it's why we drink. (laughs) You're sober, so you recognize all the bullshit of the government. So then we just start drinking. And then the few days a week you're sober, you're like... The crushing weight of this horrible democracy is raining down on me. I must drink. And then you drink. drink. And then you drink. And it's a vicious cycle. Yep. Trent had been floored over and over again by the actions of the Bush administration, especially after Hurricane Katrina decimated New Orleans. You mean Bush's vacation? Don't make (laughs) me do stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The lack of response floored him, and his anger became a catalyst for Nine Inch Nails' next release. Mm -hmm. Year Zero, their fifth studio album, was released in April 2007, only two years after the previous one. Clearly, Trent was motivated, and it showed, because this wasn't just a concept album. There was a video game, websites, a scavenger hunt, and a potential TV show slash film that hasn't come to fruition yet. Jesus Christ. I became fascinated this took up a good chunk of my research really because i don't think i actually have listened to year zero yet 
I'll give you my thoughts on Don't year zero after it. No, I'm not gonna. I'll give you my thoughts on year zero after this. This was also a weird time for me because it was 2007 and I didn't buy the physical album. I actually did illegally download it, which apparently a trend is like, he's like, whatever, that's fine. I was really into my chemical romance around this time. So I didn't really have time for all this immersive shit into year zero. Yeah, that's fair. But also this is when I went to Ireland and got really into indie rock. So whatever. Yeah, this was like, prime indie yeah. rock i had a i was really into like rilo Re- kylie and rainer Ooh, i Maria. really got into arcade fire oh yeah this oh, was yeah. arcade fire's heyday yeah this was i think when funeral came out like a few years uh, before that. neon bible i didn't listen to that one i was still into funeral was after f- funeral i was oh, like you're right yeah i'm okay i don't need any more arcade <laughs> fire i'm done <laughs> well anyway okay so the concept Buckle up, because this is a roller coaster ride that I'm fascinated with. The concept is that the year is 2022. The current theoretic government in charge has renamed it Year Zero, as they claim the U.S. was reborn after a number of massive terrorist attacks set supposedly by Islamic extremists. The government distributes drugs in the water to keep people complacently apathetic. There is an underground resistance that's trying to break the country free of this post-apocalyptic nightmare. Trent went balls out with this. This is like half reality, half Christopher Nolan Batman movie. Yeah. Like there's, it's it's a little too close for comfort. A little bit. From the CDR and beyond, it's, it's all encompassing. Mm-hmm. When you play the CD, it goes from black to white with binary code because the heat warms it up. When you're playing a disc, so when you take it out of the player, you see that it's white, has a binary code on it. It leads you to a website for an alternate reality game of the same name. Which, do you know what an alternate reality game is? It's different than virtual reality, I guess. I didn't know what it was. And Jeremy walked into the room when I was working on my notes the other day and I literally said, you need to come here and tell me what alternate reality (laughs) games are. So it's basically like an online scavenger hunt. Okay. You find this website and they explain to you clues and you have to find an God, item. I have to do with work the clues. to listen but to it this. turns it turns into like a group project. Like it turns into an entire community of people who are all working on it together to try to solve the puzzle. So all these people get the binary code from the CD and they get on this website and they all start working together to try to figure it out. Like, I get it. It sounds cool. It's just not something that I would want to oh, do. Oh, I would never fucking do this. Are you this shitting is, me? But I just much. find it fascinating as a cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. The jewel case includes an insert from the Bureau of Mor- Morality with a phone number to call in case you meet someone committing, quote, subversive acts. Well, now we're getting into Harry Potter territory. And I'm just That's like... That's not Harry Potter. To me, it's Harry Potter. <laughs> Somebody who is not a Harry Potter fan. I think fan. that's more like Orson Welles. Like, that's some 1984 shit. Like, people who are committing subversive acts and you have to, like... Or, like, V for Vendetta shit. Like, I that's don't know. Like a- I'm going to Harry Potter. I don't care. <laughs> I like Harry Potter. I don't like I Harry know, Potter. I don't. <laughs> but you know what's funny? If you When you called the phone number, it was just, a, like, a machine that said... Quote, by calling this number, you and your family are implicitly pleading guilty to the consumption of anti-American media and have been flagged as potential militants. And even before the album came out, Nine Inch Nails left USB drives for randos to find in bathrooms at venues that they performed at the year before. Well, after you call that, you're just going to have to call Colin Oates to make yourself feel better. (laughs) 
Colin Nails. <laughs> call that number and then call Colin Oates to hear a Hall and Oates song that'll cheer you up a little bit. You know, honestly, I would just want to call these numbers now. Um, but the USBs contained unreleased songs from the album as well as images of the songs as spectrograms, which Trent purposely made to include like weird, creepy elements. So spectrograms are the image of an audio. So it's this. Mm-hmm. It's what the audio looks like when you record it. The up and down thingies. Yeah, but like he would make such weird fucking sounds in some of the Year Zero songs that would come across like it looked like hands. Hmm. It's creepy. It also explains why some of the songs are really like, what the fuck is going on here? Oh, their hands. Oh, Trent's weird. <laughs> but yeah, it it was thought out to every element. That's almost kind of an obnoxious. It almost is, but at the same time... You know, I appreciate the detail that has gone into it. I appreciate the thought that's gone into it, but I'm like, this is too much. But let's go back. This is so this is 2007. Yeah. We're we're on the cusp of a huge change. Nine Inch Nails understood, you know, that everything was changing as far as how media was consumed, mm-hmm. and they were going to fully embrace it. And so they just wanted to be ahead of it. So they were like, let's just fucking go balls so out with every aspect. let's do everything. Let's do everything. Because again, like I said in the last episode, Trent's really fucking smart when it comes to marketing. Mm-hmm. And there are diehard Nine Inch Nails fans that went oh, into yeah. all of this. And, you know, you're getting a bang for your buck. Yeah. I mean, he knew, like, CDs are obsolete. Nobody fucking wants a CD anymore. He knew mm-hmm. streaming was going to be the future. And you know what's funny, too, is people would had found the USBs and rele- and like leaked the songs. Yeah. And then um whoever comes out and says like, "Hey, don't fucking do that." The guy <laughs> the wag the finger music copyright company. Kids? Copyright infringement bullshit. They came out like, "Hey, you can't do that." And Trent's like, "Motherfuckers, I told them they could." Yeah. Eat my dick. <laughs> so, they're leaking their own songs before the public could and turning this album into a full experience the listener could take part in. Despite it being art, Trent did truly fear this bleak future was possible, and he wanted to keep people engaged and aware of this dangerous path that our government was taking. It's kind of half right. Right? Like, that's kind of the thing, too, where it's like, I respect it more, I think, because he, I think, was using this as a method to educate Mm -hmm. his fans, not just, you know, have fun and have them get embraced into it, but also, like, oh, things are fucked. Year Zero was well-received by critics. They were fascinated by the all-media-encompassing aspect. It brought the listener into more than just the songs. It brought the listener into the world. It performed well commercially, reaching number two in the Billboard charts. And, I mean, it's it's a good album, but it's I find for myself it's a hard listen. It has a few handfuls of tracks, and I'm like, yeah, that's a pop. All right, I'm down with it. But overall, it's hard to listen from top to bottom yeah i would say listen through it once at least Mm -hmm. just to get the concept but like then pick out your favorites and say all right i'll just listen to these that's fine yeah however this album would create a large rift with trent and universal music group the parent company to interscope because of the thermo coating on the cd the thing that changes it from black to white Mm -hmm. they were charging an extra ten dollars for its sale in australia And Trent said that's absurd. Mm -hmm. And the cost of the coding wasn't even worth half that much. He chided them for punishing people for being true fans. Mm -hmm. 
For years, Trent had been getting fed up with how record label companies operate and stifling ways they treat their musicians and how they rip off everyone, including the fans. He was over it and decided, you know what? I fulfilled my contract with Interscope. I'm going to go be an independent artist. Hmm. So first order of business was to experiment to the fullest extent he could. He left Interscope and he's like, all right. We're going to do some shit here. He took 10 weeks improvising and experimenting in the studio. And from that came the album Ghosts 1 through 4. That's one album, not four. Correct. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to put four albums on one. (laughs) Woo! I'm Trent. (laughs) It's released released as 36 tracks in the spring of 2008. It is almost a complete instrumental, aside from a few vocal samples. Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't think I'd like it that much, but I really do like it. It's fantastic. Mm. Um, the instrumentals are great. And like I said to you earlier, it's great focus music. Yeah. Like, move over, lo-fi beats. I'm going to listen to <laughs> Ghosts 1 through 4. Ghosts was sold in various formats at various prices, This way, people could pay for what they wanted instead of having only one or two options forced on them by record labels. In its first week, the album made $1,619.42, which was over $600,000 more than Year Zero made in its first year. (laughs) I just like that you said (laughs) $1,942. Okay, wait, I can do this. I can do this. Maybe $1,619,420. Okay. Is that how you say that? Yes. You said 1942. <laughs> Back in 1942. <laughs> we didn't have to pay for things. <laughs> because we had nothing because it was World War fucking two. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. That was great. <laughs> These songs aren't really anything you would catch on the radio except... You may recognize oh, no. one track. Oh, God, what? 34 Ghost 4, which is sampled in that Old Town Road song by Little Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus. I have never heard that song. I never heard that song either until last night. And oh, I was like, no. Because I had to know. How did they even know about that song? So fucking get this, right? This was not actually something Lil Nas came up with. I'm right? sure. He wasn't like, I'm a big Nine Inch Nails fan and right. Ghost 1 through 4 is brilliant. <laughs> nah, motherfucker ain't. He doesn't even know what a Nine Inch Nail is. <laughs> Kid bought a sample of it that was remixed by a Dutch producer named Young Keo for 30 bucks. So this producer, Young Keo, uh-huh. just took the sample remade a little remix to it that was basically and by the way uh 34 goes for really good track it's very pretty kind of sad well it made old town road a hit apparently so. because then like he just added some sweet drum beats to it and that was really it like it wasn't that fucking revolutionary so like the whole main beat of old town road is a nine inch nail song it is and so now trent reznor is cu- credited with a little nas x billy ray cyrus song at least he's credited. He is. Well, so what happened was this song gets released and it fucking blows up. Mm-hmm. And Young Keo is like, hold the fuck up. That's my sample. And Excuse Trent Reznor's me? like, 
hold the fuck up. That's my <laughs> and every actually no. What happened later is I will give Lil Nas X credit. His management did call up Trent Reznor. Was like, hey, we used the song. Is that cool? And Trent's like, I don't give a shit. So is Trent Reznor not even seeing any royalties? From I be- this? I don't. You know, what? I actually don't know. I didn't go balls deep into that. But Young Keo does get a producer credit on it. Then Trent Reznor should be seeing. He some is monies. credited on it, so he must be seeing some monies if he's credited on it. Oh yeah, he should be. Yeah. All right. So Trent said Ghosts 1 through 4 was, quote, a soundtrack for daydreams, which many did agree with. It was very much having this soundtrack feel, and it does show what's soon on the horizon for he and Atticus. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're expecting me to say that maybe Nine Inch Nails chilled on the releases since they've been just churning them out so much more frequently than they used to. But no, in May 2008, they released The Slip. The Slip. Which is Give like, them the slip. They gave him the slip a month after they gave him the ghosts. Gave him the ghosts <laughs> and they gave him the slip. Huh. Ghosts gave him the slip. Take a look at them gams. <laughs> Initially, it was planned to be an EP, but turned full length, and they decided to just release it digitally for free under Creative Commons license. The slip serves as a retrospective for Nine Inch Nails up to that point. It revisits the sounds, tones, and moods of everything from Pretty Hate Machine through Ghosts. The only single release discipline really feels like Head Like a Hole from Pretty Hate Machine meets only from With Teeth. Like, if you listen to that song, you're like, oh, yeah, no, I see all of this. Mm -hmm. I can taste colors. (laughs) The overall sound of the album is like an electronic garage band. Clearly, people getting together, having fun. Trent admitted this album was quickly assembled. It was more of a reaction than a carefully laid plot like most of their stuff is. It's just fun time. Just having a good time. By 2009, it seemed perhaps after going hard for a few years, maybe Nine Inch Nails deserved a little sit down. Yeah, like you took f- 10 years to make three albums and now you're just like shitting them out. Yeah. But they are good. Like, I'm going to give them credit. Like, they're not bad albums. Yeah, so like pump the brakes, pals. Well, so they did. Trent clarified that Nine Inch Nails wasn't done. They just needed to a little time to explore different avenues. He just needed a nap time. He needed a little nap time. They went on their Wave Goodbye tour that concluded in September 2009. And so began what I like to call the Did You Know Trent Reznor Likes to Work on Soundtracks time of his life. <laughs> or at least work on soundtracks for David Fincher. Along with Atticus, Trent worked on the 2010 film The Social Network winning both a Golden Globe and an Oscar for Best Motion P- Picture Score. After The year after The Social Network, they worked on another Fincher film, the American adaption of the novel Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And here they worked with Karen O oh of the AAS to create a killer cover of Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song. Hmm. Have you heard it? I have not. What? I bet. It's really good i bet that she probably nailed those vocals she nails it because the only other person that can nail led zeppelin vocals besides robert plant is ann wilson right like basically you need to be a female with some strong vocals yeah and i think karen o has it like she she does it Mm -hmm. definitely she at least has the attitude to carry it she does yeah no it's so good And last but not least, they worked on the soundtrack for the 2014 film Gone Girl, which was the only film of David Fincher's I've seen. And I did not realize Nine Inch Nails did the soundtrack the whole time. (laughs) It's like, huh, 
Okay. Usually I'm pretty good at pointing that out. Wasn't good this time. Yeah. Movies weren't the only thing. He was also hired by Tayark to create the game music for, excuse me, the theme music for the game Call of Duty Black Ops 2. And this wasn't his first foray into the video game scene. I actually failed to mention in the last episode that in 1996, he developed the music for the game Quake, which (laughs) was the only reason I played the game Quake. But also Quake was a good game. The point is, between Nine Inch Nails music and Quake being a good game, Quake was a great game. I have never heard of Quake. So it's like Doom without the demons. I've never even seen Doom. It's a first-person shooter I, from a computer. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> In 2009, Trent married singer-songwriter Maraquin Mandig, and soon they had joined forces with Atticus to create a side project called How to Destroy Angels. And okay. actually, the music's pretty good. It just sounds kind of like Nine Inch Nails, a little softer with a female vocalist. I'm into it. Okay. Also, Trent would continue to work with old friends. He collaborated with Dave Grohl on his Sound City di- documentary. Oh, which I still haven't seen. Me I neither. really want to watch it. And they performed a song they wrote called Mantra with another pal of Dave's, Josh Homme. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you want to jizz your pants? Watch the video from Mantra because you Basement have Josh flooded, ladies. Homme, Holy fuck. Dave Grohl, Trent Reznor doing a song together. And I need a minute to go clean up. Fresh floods. Fresh floods. <laughs> but this led to Trent befriending Josh and working with him on Like Clockwork. He contributed vocals, drum programming, keyboard on a few tracks. Wow. Right? Like, that explains, like, why, like, like, clockwork is, like... But also, it explains why, like, clockwork is so fucking depressing. Oh, yeah, that too. Trent's like, I can see that you're trying I to get I can put really the darkness... I can infuse the darkness into but this fucking album. let me give you album. a couple more adjectives to really bring down the house on the sadness yeah. here. wow. Also, can we bring this down one more minor key? There you go. That's, that's how you want that to sound. That's the sweet spot. <laughs> Okay, is it 2013 yet? Because now we're back to Nin. Wasn't that much of a break. <laughs> it took like a two-year, or no, excuse me, a four-year break. And they're like, all right, we're back. Hesitation Marks, Nine Inch Nails' eighth studio album, was released in August 2013. Two critical and commercial praise. Bringing along with it big hit singles like Copy of a and Came Back Haunted. Oh. Yeah. They still I'm, slap. Jesus Christ. I... I'm totally out of the Nine Inch Nails loop. I'm here to bring you in, baby. Here to bring you in. Trivia time! Lindsay Buckingham was featured on three tracks for this album, including Copy of a... Lindsay Suck My Dickingham. (laughs) I kind of feel bad. I don't want to keep... I don't know. He's sick. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't he? Does he have, like, cancer or something? No! He, like, had a heart attack. He's fine. Oh, that's it. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of Huey Lewis. No, he doesn't have cancer. Somebody has cancer. Huey Lewis lost his hearing. Dave Mustaine. Dave Mustaine has cancer, yes. There's, like, I drink a lot and a lot of people have cancer. (laughs) What really surprised everyone was to see that Hesitation Marks was released on Columbia Records, a major label. Yeah. Some had accused Nine Inch Nails of selling out. Oh, shut up. But Trent tried to defend the decision, saying he wasn't some apologist for major labels, but while being an independent artist came with many benefits, there were also a few huge shortcomings. Yep. I think 
the biggest thing was just they weren't getting the music out the way they wanted to in the amount like in the massive amount it was harder to promote yeah. he said something about one time being at a venue in Europe and seeing basically no promotional posters for them but a ton for Radiohead who had a show in like the next three or six months or something yeah but also it's very fucking expensive to fund your own tours when you're a band like Nine Inch Nails you know what it's a lot of work Yes, it is. Trent is very much engrossed in his music. And yes, while he could have hired someone to do a lot of it, I think even as an independent label, it would have been a lot of work on him. Yeah, it's just, it's too much work. It's too much money to do all of that on your own. When you are a band like Nine Inch Nails with such a following where when you tour, you have to play bigger venues. Like if they were just going around playing like, Irving Plaza or something in New York City mm-hmm. then it wouldn't be so difficult but yeah you have to book big venues you have to have a big entertaining yeah. f- kind of flashy show yeah and you can't do that on your own it's as hard. an independent it's artist it's very difficult for what it's worth there are times in their like 2000s career where they would go from like big arenas to performing in a smaller space mm-hmm. like Irving Plaza Mm-hmm. They actually were totally like, actually, they I heard could, they put on a great show in New York City like last year. But they could year. do that at that time. Right. Now, it's not going to work now. So what's interesting is what they had with Columbia wasn't really a contract, but a partnership. An album by album deal sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And some speculate this actually may have been less about Nine Inch Nails, but more of a way to better promote How to Destroy Angels. Hmm. Because through Nine Inch Nails, he could pull his side bands and side gigs through it, too. And yeah. kind of get them more notoriety as well. I kind of feel like that's a terrible name for a band. Yeah, I don't love I it. I do not like it. No, I'm not. I'm not. It's very, it. I'm in a band with my wife. You know? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to go there. I was just going to be like, I'm a sad high school kid. I'm sure his wife is lovely, but that's well, She's t- a babe. She is. Um, But that title sure just screams. Nice too. That title just screams, I'm in a band with my wife. <laughs> my wife made me With do this. my wife. My wife. I'm in a band with my <laughs> wife. <laughs> a few years later, Nine Inch Nails would release a trilogy of albums, two EPs, Not the Actual Events, and Add Violence, and an LP called Bad Witch, all released on The Null Corporation, the label that Nine Inch Nails made for themselves after leaving Interscope. So, like... Once they left Interscope, they created the Null Corporation. They released albums on that. They did the last album with Columbia, but then they went back to doing their independent shit. Because mm-hmm. fuck commercialism. So it seems Columbia was probably out of the picture. I don't know. I haven't really seen much about them since. At the very end of 2016 in December, Not the Actual Events was released. Trent said it's about his life being an illusion that he is truly a junkie who should have been dead in a ditch and he is only on borrowed time. So then the following album, coming out in July 2017, was Add Violence. And he takes this idea of his life being an illusion and expands it to question if everyone's living in a simulated reality. And then the last part of this trilogy is 2018's Bad Witch. It throws everyone's illusion of their lives out of the window, claiming that humans are animals or simply 
an accident and we should stop considering ourselves some kind of transcendent beings. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. Wow. I can't tell you how many hours of research just to find those descriptions of those albums. Because I'm like, (laughs) how is this a trilogy? And nothing fucking tells you how this is a trilogy. But I finally found an interview with Trent. And this even, this interview even took me forever to find. And this is the best I could come up with. Mm -hmm. So if someone's listening and they're like, you're wrong. Please tell me how I'm wrong. Yeah. And how did you come to that conclusion? Oh, no, no. I I genuinely would love to know. (laughs) Like, I, I listen to them and I really like them. I think they're great albums, but I don't. Trent might be too deep for me. Again, I learned a lot about myself these past few weeks. Yeah. And I might just it, be a sad girl. And somehow it seems like these concepts just come to him very easily. And that makes me feel very inferior yeah. as a human being. I don't think, and that's that's where I'm like, I don't know if I could hang with Trent. Because I think I'd feel dumb. Well, I think he saves all of this for his music and probably doesn't just like go around his house in his footy pajamas going like, <laughs> you know, philosophical bullshit. But what if all of our lives are illusion and his four children are just like, Daddy, what's an illusion? Well, sit down, <laughs> little Trent, let me tell you. <laughs> little None Trent. of his kids are named Little Trent, I assume. I, I, but you know aren't what? they all little Trent? Credit where credit's due. He and his wife, very, very, like, closed off about their personal lives. Yeah. Like, people don't know shit about their kids or any of that. They do know he has greyhounds because he rescues greyhounds. Oh. And that's all you really know about Trent. He writes great music, rescues greyhounds. Good for him. <laughs> greyhounds deserve to be rescued. Right? They're Love me great dogs. What some found strange was that this trilogy wasn't all EPs, which is kind of weird. Bad Witch is only six tracks and just hitting half an hour in length, but it's still labeled an, e- an LP. Well, why can't it? Well, after a few snarky remarks, Trent commented that EPs don't really get the play that LPs get. The marketing isn't there, and even streaming apps tend to lose EPs in the shuffle. So to market an LP, make sure it gets the play it deserves. When there's an entire genre of SoundCloud rappers... Who gives a flying fuck about LPs, EPs, yeah. singles, B-sides, A-sides, whatever anymore? That That is, that is nothing. A-side, B-side is a moot point at this yeah. point. Just let people release how they want. It doesn't exist. It really so doesn't. if you want to release an album with only six songs and 30 minutes total, who says you can't? Do it. You won't do it. <laughs> music, the music industry itself is completely different than it was yeah 20 years ago and i will say as a spotify user you know most of the time i just friday is release radar so i'll snap into that and see what's new from and they're usually pretty good about throwing out like artists that i like or would like and like what's new and like i'll look and see Mm -hmm. and that's better than any fucking radio play i ever used to get Mm -hmm. i've been exposed to so much more music that way god (laughs) this is just bringing me back to only like 10 years ago when i would just sit in front of my desktop computer and like peruse myspace myspace (laughs) and discover new bands that way or discover new bands by just like random shit i don't even remember how i would find new bands but yeah yeah it's so different now it's very different now as of late Nine Inch Nails seems to be doing just about everything. 
They were touring together until, well, they couldn't. Thanks, COVID. No. So to bring something to the fans during these spicy times, TM, they released the albums Ghost 5 and Ghost 6 for free. Also, Trent and Atticus are still busy bees when it comes to making scores for shows. Ken Burns had them do the music for his docuseries on Vietnam War. Really? I know. I need to watch it now. Seriously. I mean, I should watch more Ken Burns anyway. It's hard to get through. But if it's a Nine Inch Nail soundtrack, maybe? Maybe. <laughs> it depends on the subject matter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I can get through a whole thing about Vietnam War, but I will certainly give it a... Give the it a old, college try. The old college try yeah. is what I will do. Same. The old SUNY New Paltz try. Ooh, that's a good try. That means... Give it about 20 minutes and then probably take some edibles and then fall asleep. Okay. Sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> and they really made waves when they came on to create the soundtrack for the HBO show Watchmen, which is apparently quite the hit with the kids right now. That's what Johnny told us. Yeah. Johnny, we heard you. <laughs> yeah, we get it. We should watch Watchmen. I'm not going to watch it. The soundtrack's good. Yeah. Um, It has ups and... I mean, it has like good... Tracks and bad tracks. I feel, I feel like I just explained every album ever. <laughs> uh, yes, the their version of Life on Mars is beautiful. Okay. I will give them that. Last year, Trent had the honor of introducing one of his biggest influences, The Cure, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And what do you know? The tables turn, and he was just inducted this year as the entire Nine Inch Nails moniker. Did The Cure induct him? No, so it was Iggy Pop, who was, like, the main inductor. Don't forget, this was all weird and, like, virtual. Mm -hmm. Also, they had St. Vincent, which I totally get, and Miley Cyrus, and someone else who I don't remember right now. Oh, it's because she's, like, friends with them now, because she covered all of their fucking songs for Black Mirror, and they were terrible. And he, and then Trent was like, no, these are great. And I'm like, are you taking crazy pills? These are terrible. Trent, I think, is just always excited to hear someone else's take on his music. Which, all right, that's admirable. Fine. Let him take the high road. Fine. <laughs> I feel like throughout the series, I left a lot out. Mm-hmm. Maybe some more hardcore fans are yelling at me, you forgot about this. But also, holy crap, do I feel like I just spent a lot of my past few weeks learning about Nine Inch Nails. Like, wow. I did not realize how much there was to the story mm-hmm. at all. And that's because this band, and by that I mean Trent, is an insane workhorse. His life is to create art. He has dedicated most of it to honing his craft, perfecting it, and then just tearing all that shit right back down to build it back up again into something different. Every time he makes an album or a song or a project, it is something different. Sounds like it takes a lot out of him, too. But I think this is all he can do. And also it sounds like it takes a lot out of him, but is also kind of a therapeutic session. And he becomes a more mature and better person after every album. I think it really helps with his sobriety. Mm. The legacy of this band can be felt throughout rock, pop, electronica, metal, rap, and just about anything in between. And it's not just because of the sheer mass of work he has put out there, but the quality of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. like I said, even the stuff that's considered not so great is still good. 
I mean, he puts out things that people are like, this isn't great, I don't love it, but it's still listenable. Mm-hmm. It still totally has meaning, and you can totally understand. Like, it never feels like something he just shit out there. Mm-hmm. It always feels like something that has a purpose. I guess I'll just end it by suggesting everyone go listen to some Nine Inch Nails. It may be cathartic for the upcoming winter. You may find it helps rage you through a personal situation, or at the very least, you can probably fuck to it. <laughs> but I promise there is something in that discography for you. At least one thing. So at least one. Do it. And I will highly suggest as we're going into quarantine part two, the fragile I have found really good COVID album. Yeah. Really good COVID album. Try it. Some good isolation music. And it like is eerily like the day the world went away. Where mm-hmm. is everybody? We're in this together. The fragile. Yo. Starfuckers. I mean, just fuck everybody. But still. <laughs> yo. That fucking album. Really good for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Spicy times. TM. Dipshits at SUNY New Paltz say this album slaps. <laughs> <laughs> I really want them to re-release the album now and put that as a review. That would make my lifetime. This album slaps. Hyphen dipshits dipshit from Noonie Noonie Supals. And that's when we know we're done. Thank you all so much for listening to me rant and rave about Nine Inch Nails for entirely way too long. A solid or not long enough. Several hours. Yeah, like this is we're we're getting closer to three hours at this point. Mm-hmm. Worth it. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you had a good time. Hope you learned a lot. Got any questions or comments? You know what to do. You can go visit our website, rockcandypodcast.com. <laughs> Dot com. <laughs> what was that? Yahoo.com. <laughs> you can go visit our website and you could toss us an email and say, hey, what the fuck? You got this wrong. Or you could follow all of our social medias because we got Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can comment on things there and say, hey, you got this wrong. And we'll be like, all right, please explain. And then we can have a discussion. Please educate us. Yeah. Because we couldn't find that in our research. Yo, seriously, some shit. Woof was difficult. And if you're digging what we put out, please go visit our network, who is called Pantheon Podcast. It is all music, all the time. Anything you could look for, they got it in there. So go visit them. It's good times. Also, good times is you giving us your money. <laughs> if you want. If you want to. We totally understand if you don't. But if you do, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast and you can give us your money every month. And in exchange, you will get some sweet swag and a monthly bonus episode. You boner can- episode. Boner episode. You can also go to Teespring and search for Rock Candy Podcast and get all of your sweet, sweet merch. We would really appreciate it if you fucking bought some. Hey, you know what? Holiday season's coming up. It is. Maybe it's time to stop going to, like, you know, Best Buy or Walmart and try shopping small. Yeah. Shop, Little- shop your local podcast, I guess. I mean, you know what? For what it's worth... Maybe your family doesn't even like podcasts, but I think our logo looks really cool <laughs> and it looks cool on a mask. Cool They're on neat some leggings. leggings. Like, yo, that slouchy tee is comfy AF. Yep. I love it. So maybe buy somebody's Multiple some merch. podcasters agree. 
The sweatshirt, the zip-up hoodie, mm-hmm. it's real nice. It is real nice. I do like it. Yes. And it's all, like, it's unisex sweatshirt. It's great. Yeah. It's perf. I'm really starting to fall in love with unisex sizing. Also, you should go give us a nice review. Oh, that'd be fun. Holidays are coming up, and uh, that would be a nice present. You know what's guys. free? A review. A review is free. Even so if you, you just plop in and be like, five stars, hey, you cool, that's great. That would be fucking fantastic be awesome. on Apple Podcasts or Facebook or Google, I guess. I don't know. Are we on Yelp? I don't know. I don't think we're on Yelp. I don't think I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> I don't I haven't checked Yelp in ages. I don't know. Yeah, Yelp's not real anymore. But anyway. Anyway. Go somewhere and leave us a nice review, that's would you? Cool. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Yay. Anyway, so that's it for this week. Come on in next week for more spicy, crazy tales. And until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Terrible lie! Boop, boop, doop, 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 doop